Well, we'll be uh, continuing our study in Ephesians this morning with Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, from 11 through uh, 22. Uh, Paul is writing to a group in Ephesus who is uh, struggling to understand how they fit into the church, the body of Christ. So please uh, stand with me as we read this, the word of the Lord. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. And so he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Well, I'm not exactly sure how I should begin this sermon. It's kind of a problem because I'm up here and I'm talking. And so I guess the sermon has officially begun. Now, but the debate I'm having is how I should introduce myself or whether I should introduce myself or what I should say when I introduce myself. So, hi, my name is Roy. But what other information might be relevant to you this morning about me? Well, how about this? My name is Roy, and I am a Gentile. Now, you might think to yourself, like, that is a completely useless piece of information. Now, you're a Gentile, you're not Jewish. I kind of figured that. Like, we, we sort of get that. Probably most of us here are Gentiles. So why are you telling us this? Well, on any other week, I would agree with you that me telling you that I'm a Gentile is absolutely useless. But this week, I'm not so sure. You see, this week as I was meditating on this text in preparation for this sermon, all of a sudden that little useless piece of information about my identity, I am a Gentile, started seeming pretty important. Now, I imagined what it would be like to be a Gentile living in the ancient world. Let's say I'm, let's say I'm a man from Greece. I'm a Greek man. And I am living and traveling in the ancient world And somewhere along the way, I encounter a group of people uh, who live together in a town, and they are called the Jews. 
They live there. They worship in a synagogue. And I meet them. And I witness the way in which the Jewish faith, uh, in which their faith and their loyalty to God just seems to transform everything about their lives. I'm, I'm impressed with the way that instead of blending in with the culture, and instead of being swept up by the spirit of the times, they are holding on to a way of life that is rooted in their proclamation that there is only one God. And their loyalty to their heritage and to their God convinces me that this group of people knows something about the world that I don't. And I'm intrigued and I'm interested. And I want to find out what that something is. And so I decide to travel to Jerusalem in order to investigate this God of gods and Lord of lords. As I approach the city, I can see the hill looming before me, and on top of the hill sits the city of Jerusalem. And, and poking up out of the top of the city, I can see the white marble walls of the temple. And so I make my way up the city and climb the temple mound. And I enter into the outer courtyard of the temple, and I'm immediately hit by all the sights and the sounds and the smells of what looks like a livestock show. There are sheep, and there are goats, and there are young cows being sold. Uh, there's a group of pigs over here. No, I'm just kidding. There are no pigs. It's a temple. No pigs in the temple. But there are all these animals that are being sold for sacrifice. Uh, there are, are people um, who are exchanging money uh, so that people can come and, and get the appropriate currency to pay the temple tax. There's all of this stuff just going on around me, and yet I'm not focused on any of it. I'm not paying attention because all of my focus is centered on the structure that is ahead of me, the structure in the center of the courtyard. That's the temple proper. There's four walls that encircle two courtyards, and I can see poking up out of the top just, just hanging over the top of the wall, the very top of a, of a small structure, a very tall but thin structure, and I know that that structure is the holy place, the holy of holies, that in there is where the presence of God is made real in this world. This is where God is dwelling. This is the house of God. And I want to experience that. I want to know what it's like inside those courtyards. And so I push my way through the crowd toward this structure. I can see inside already, inside the court of women, there are women there who are offering their prayers. And, and I get up close. I get up right to the steps of the platform, and then I hit a wall. See, there's a wall that's about four and a half feet tall, and it just circles the entire temple building. And I don't really know what this is. And I think, well, maybe I should just like, you know, hop over it and nobody will notice. But maybe it's important. They built it for some reason. And so I look over and I see a Jewish man. He's walking and I, I beckon him, hey, come over here. I say, what is this wall? And the guy says, oh, well, that, um, well, that's a wall. It's, it's technical name is called a soreg, and it's to keep people like you out. What do you mean keep people like me out? And then he points to a sign, 
And uh, it's a good thing that, like I said at the beginning, I'm a Greek man, so I can actually read that. And that says this, no foreigner is to enter within the wall and enclosure around the temple area. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will soon follow. It's a good thing I didn't hop over that fence. And so I turn to my friend, I ask him, why can't I go in? And he replies, look, man, we Jews are the people of God. You see, God made a covenant with our ancestors, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that their descendants would be blessed over all the nations. God dwells with us. And while you're welcome to worship God out here in the court of the Gentiles, you cannot approach the holy place where God dwells among his people. You see, we have a law that keeps the Gentiles out of the temple structure. If you stay outside the wall, you're not clean. You're not holy. You are not one of the chosen people. And with that, he walks up the steps and he enters the temple. And I cannot follow because there is a wall and there is a law that is separating me from the Jews and that is separating me from God. You know, when I walked into church this morning, um, I I actually, I didn't encounter a wall. I I didn't see a hedge that was preventing me from enter. Um, There was no sign. There were certainly no threats about my impending death should I come into the building, uh, for which I'm grateful. And yet, all around us, we see walls of separation. We see barriers telling people, hey, you have gone far enough. You know, maybe some of us have had that experience where we want to join a group of people, we want to get to know them, we want to make a connection. But try as we might, we just can't get in. There's a wall. Well, why is that? I think that it's because that regardless of what our occupations are, one of the first skills that we learn as human beings is masonry. You know, even when I was a little kid, I could already distinguish and separate people who they seemed to be like me from the people who seemed to be different from me. When I was in first grade, we shared recess with a couple of the kindergarten classes. And, and one time I saw a, a young kindergartner, a boy, and he was just playing with some of his classmates. The problem was that all of his classmates that he was playing with were girls. Now, I being a first grader, the the older and more mature individual knew I needed to take him. I took him under my wing and I explained to him, hey, this is recess, buddy. We don't do that. No, we don't play with the girls. The, The boys, they stay over here. And the girls, they stay over here the way that God intended it. Which I'm sure you folks up here would agree, disagree. Um... There are lots of examples of walls in our world and in our churches. You know, it's worth spending time with uh, just one uh, of the most obvious examples. The most obvious wall in our culture is our history of race. 
You see, for hundreds of years since the beginning of the Enlightenment, nearly all of Western society bought into one of the greatest lies that has ever been vomited from the mouth of Satan. And European settlers imported this lie onto our continent. And for the first 200 years, this lie was one of the bedrock beliefs of our country. And that lie is this, that white people, people of European ancestry, were better than people who were not white. And that belief erected a steel wall between people of different ethnic backgrounds. And in America, this has manifested in all kinds of evils. Slavery, ethnic minorities facing systematic injustice, people being denied their civil rights, blacks and minorities being barred from certain colleges, eating in certain restaurants, drinking from certain water fountains, and the list just goes on and on. And instead of proclaiming that the gospel unites all believers through God's grace and mercy, many in the church just accepted this lie. And we imported that wall of separation right into the body of Christ. This is why when I was six years old, I I heard about another church of Christ a few miles away from our own, and I asked my mom, hey, why don't we go there? And she just looked at me in my naivete, and, and she smiled, and she said, well, That's the black church. You see, historically, churches, especially in the South, they've been split along racial lines, and it's likely to remain that way for some time. Because even while we are trying to chip away at the walls of prejudice, and even while we are repenting of the sins of racism, it's difficult to push past the fact that humans just seem to prefer to be in community with people who are like us people who think and act in ways that seem familiar to us, people whose upbringing we find relatable, people who look like us. And so without even knowing it, we construct walls between us and those people that we perceive to be different. You know, we can erect walls between people because of our differing backgrounds. We can also do the same because of our differing beliefs. The landscape of Christianity has been divided and it has been parceled out as people have decided that one group of Christians is no longer going to associate with another group of Christians. I was in a church that split. A church, by the way, the holy temp- the temple of the Holy Spirit, the house of the Holy Spirit, the church, divided over an argument about the power and work of the Holy Spirit. The tragedy of all of this is that the walls that we build between ourselves can also serve as a barrier between people and God. For how will a stranger and the foreigner ever hear the gospel if we just remain safely hidden behind our walls? It's a sobering thought, I know. But Paul, Paul sees all this. And he's not exactly pessimistic. Because Paul sees a wall. He sees a wall in the church in Ephesus. And in fact, it's the same wall that surrounds the temple in Jerusalem. It's that wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And both the wall of hostility and the law that serves as its justification have worked to keep the Jews and the Gentiles absolutely separated for millennia. But now... Paul says, 
now because of Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you Gentiles who could never come into the temple, you folks who could never even enter the home of a Jewish person, you who are far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one, and he has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And you know that when he says that he has broken down the dividing wall, that he is thinking about that wall that's wrapped around the temple, that that's the wall that he sees. He continues, Christ has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Yeah, Paul sees a wall. He sees a wall, but he envisions it crumbling and falling upon its own foundations like the walls of Jericho, crushed by the power of the cross. And there is no division any longer between the Jews and the Gentiles. What he sees is something new, a new humanity being created and being exalted. People from every background that you could ever imagine. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, and very famously, there is no Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no, man, there's no male or female, there is no white or black or Latino, there is no liberal or conservative, there's no Democrat, no Republican, there is no Aggie or Longhorn or Red Raider or Sooner, but we are all brought together into a new people. We are the church. And we all, no matter who you are or how you got here or what your background is, we all have access through the Holy Spirit to God. Now, don't miss this. That at the same time that God invites us into relationship with Him, and the same time that He destroys the walls and the laws that might keep us away from Him, He also destroys the walls between us. Community and communion with God means that we have communion with each other. And I have seen God tear down walls hundreds of times. And I know that you have seen God tear down walls hundreds of times. I have seen two people who would have never agreed on anything choose to sit next to each other in worship. I have seen family members who have not spoken to each other in years reach out just to say, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? I know an older lady, she's retired, and she is working really hard right now to learn Spanish just so that she can have better relationships with her neighbors. And I have seen a church throw a party for a neighborhood on the other side of town where people in the church and people in the neighborhood got together and danced together in the streets. Walls crack and break and crumble every day because of the power of Christ on the cross. And we may be masons by nature, but God is calling us and empowering us to learn a new skill, demolition, so that we can really live as one new humanity. 
And so what does this new humanity look like? Well, let's imagine with Paul for one moment. I'm back at the temple in Jerusalem, standing just outside that little wall that is wrapped around the perimeter of the temple. And from where I'm standing, I can see into the court of women. I see the women offering their afternoon prayers. And I can see the top of the holy place, and I I can see that that's, that's where God is, and he's there, and I'm out here. And there's a wall. And then that wall in front of me, it just crumbles to dust. My Jewish friend from earlier, he comes back out of, the, out of the temple and he comes and he takes my hand and he leads me into the temple. We walk in and the inner courts are just packed with people. There are Jews in the court, yes, but there are also Romans and Greeks and Persians and Ethiopians and Oklahomans. It's just packed full of people. Women are spilling over into the court of men, the court of the Israelites, where they have never been allowed to go, and yet nobody even seems to care anymore. We're all there, and then we hear God speak. And he says this, you are no longer strangers here. And when I hear that, I know that he is talking to us Gentiles. He says, you are now a part of the household of God. And I will no longer dwell in this house made of men, this temple made by human hands, but rather I will dwell in and among my church. You, people from every background under the sun, you will be my temple. You will be my dwelling place. That vision is what Paul sees for the church in Ephesus. And that is what I see in you. If you have a need, our leaders are going to be along the uh, sides and at the back of the auditorium, available to pray and help you in any way that they can. Let us stand and lift our voices in praise.